It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today on the show, Clark stinks. Also, return policies are different this Christmas shopping season. You got to know about it before you're out spending your hard-earned money. And Clark Stinks is where you give me feedback, where you feel the advice I've given is incomplete, inaccurate, or just plain dumb. And with that having been said, Crystal, let's get to it. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Let's go. What you got? You gave a listener advice to go to 403bwise.org and evaluate his healthcare organization-sponsored 403b plan. I don't know if you've gone to these sites recently, but it appears that 403bwise and 403bcompare.org are only for education-related 403b plans, not plans from other entities like healthcare organizations. Correct me if I'm wrong here, and I'm actually the stinky one, Beth. Beth, you are right. I was wrong. I checked, and... You can only check, and not every school district, school system, and union plan is on or on these sites, but they don't do the 403Bs of other types of organizations. So I was wrong, and you're right. In a recent episode, you advised folks to back off on the hype surrounding I-bonds. This was disappointing. Instead, you should have told us the tricks to get even more money into I-bonds in the short term. The Treasury Direct site has a gift box option in which you can buy a $10,000 bond in another person's name and someone else can buy one in your name. The clock for redemption and current interest rate on the day you buy it could be gifted a later date following the $10,000 per year rule. An example for me was I have a child with a wedding down the road and I put his future wedding present in an I bond in his name to be gifted at a future date, essentially inflation proofing his future gift. Come on, Clark, think outside the box with these once in a generation rates, John. John, thank you. And I think about, you know, in our off air advice line, the Team Clark Consumer Action Center, we've had more questions and complaints and problems that people have had with the I-bonds than anything this entire calendar year. The I-bonds have been quite a wonderful thing and a frustrating thing for people at the same time. And the I-bonds, even though they're here in November, they're earning a lower rate, it's still a great rate, and it's a better rate than you can earn anywhere else at roughly 6.5%. It's quite a deal. What the Zell Clark? Companies that require salaries to be published as a two-way street. Should someone with no experience make the same as another with 20 years of experience when it's a position where that know-how makes them more valuable? Unions like to do that to appease lousy employees. And yes, I worked for a union and saw this all the time, which pushed me to not only a different career field, but employers who valued excellence rather than just seniority. I recently had something similar happen to me where my company decided to bring all of the people on my team up to a certain entry level. Sounds great. Transparent and a lot of people got a bump. But I and several others were just ahead of that new level by a few thousand dollars and have been working on that team for 15 years. So now people who just joined the team with few skills working in my field were making just a little less than I was. We asked our manager to create tiers, which they declined to do. 
And that one was from Cliff. And we got a lot about this. So okay. one more. Unless I work for a government entity, I strongly believe my coworkers have no right to know what I earn. And I have no right to know what my coworker earns. This is private information between me and my employer. You seem to imply that employers are often evil entities conspiring to reward people who don't deserve it. What about those companies who actually do like to reward or penalize for unusual performance? Shouldn't the free market decide this? The false concept of pay transparency only serves to feed those envious workers who are often lower performers and who sit around and brood about other people's performance and careers rather than worrying about their own. I grant that earnings between otherwise equal workers is definitely an issue when associated with gender or race inequity. But correcting this issue should still be handled and regulated in the background by the company HR and by proper enforcement yeah. of labor laws. Warren. Yeah, I, I have lots of thoughts about this area. It's something that, as I talked about, has happened in Colorado and likely will happen in a small number of other states where employers of a certain size will be required to post pay rates. And it's something that, that there are multiple angles on. And as an example, I haven't done that for my company and I have no desire to do so. So it's not something that I'm like, yeah, everybody's salary should be published. I'm just saying this is going on. And one of the advantages of it is the last thing pointed out, and that is the issues of wage discrimination that happen in the workforce. And you may remember earlier this year, I talked about how women in large numbers are doing over-the-road trucking now, because it's a field that nobody cares at a trucking company who's behind the wheel of the truck, man, woman, whatever race, religion, anything like that. They just want the goods delivered safely. And they pay the same rate per mile, no matter who's doing it. And that that has been very attractive to women who normally are paid less for an equivalent job. So my thing has been about the disparity in wages because of a lot of times we have a bias we don't even realize we have and how we might treat one worker differently than another. And you talked about, Warren, how it should be based on the government doing it, you know, legal authorities. They got a lot on their plate. So this is an area that is evolving, it's changing, and I don't have the right answer to it. I'm just presenting the different things that are out there to try to bring about more fairness and wages. And the prior post about the union stuff and people getting paid just because of time in a position, things like that. People should be paid based on their contribution to profit, not because they have been breathing in that job so much time. And I've always been a fan of people having pay for performance and capability and ultimately their contribution to the success of the organization they're part of. So I'm sure everything I just said will lead to more posts. Well, unless for you work you. for like a nonprofit, then you whatever company has to decide what is important to contribute to, right? So it could be nonprofit too. Clark, you stink. Your comment that prepaying for an orthodontist rarely causes a problem stinks. As a former orthodontic assistant with children now in braces, I would never, ever prepay for my children's treatment. Orthodontists are humans. 
not machines. Sadly, they are like everyone else. They get injured, suffer mental breakdowns, and die suddenly or decide to sell the practice to someone else or a corporation. By choosing to pay monthly, you have a lot more options. You don't have to put your kid's treatment on hold if your orthodontist dies suddenly, like in a plane crash or from cancer. Both have happened in my city. It can take a long time to sort things out when an orthodontist dies or if they sell to another corporation or orthodontist and you don't like the new one. And that's from Colleen. And Colleen, this, uh, let me go back to the original. It was when somebody asked a question, should they get the discount that was available for prepaying? And we had, uh, yours is not the first Clark Stinks we've had on this, Mm -hmm. that people in the industry and people outside it both said that it was really lame advice I gave to pay up front for the discount you could get because of all the things that have been brought up, the what ifs that could happen. And so all I was thinking about was the money you could save and didn't look at the bigger picture. So it was my bad. Clark is usually on point with the monster mega banks, but his comments regarding when you should keep your savings in one of the four monster mega banks is never is wrong, wrong, wrong. I've been a credit union member my whole life and a decent saver about a year ago. One of the big banks came to me with an offer for a high yield savings account, minimum $500 a month fee free. I moved the majority of my emergency savings to them because the interest rates they're giving me is 2.05% with no withdrawal limitations other than going below the $500. And you can go below it, but they add a $5 monthly fee if you do. While my credit union is offering 0.1% APY on savings, you may be right on the monster mega banks for ethical reasons, but you're wrong on their savings accounts. Clearly, you need to get your nose out of your watered down Coke Zero and research more (laughs) Sam. Sam, okay. I assume Sam is talking about the offers from City. Mm-hmm, probably, yeah. City's been very aggressive because City doesn't have the branch network of the other giant monster megas. And it's funny what City does is if they get you to open an online savings account with them, they offer a great rate. If you walk into a City branch in a city where they have branches, you get the same crummy rates as people do at any other giant monster mega bank and sadly at your credit union paying a measly one-tenth of one percent but yes the online offers that people will receive from a traditional bricks and mortar bank are there to compete with the online only banks and if you get an opportunity like that that's great you're doing the right thing by grabbing that city interest rate versus what you are earning at your credit union. When you accurately and wisely recommended that job seekers need to network, you neglected to mention how colleges and universities provide opportunities. Almost all community, state, and technical colleges, along with universities, have a career development or career services office, which teaches students networking skills. They also provide events of all kinds that connect students and alums with in-person opportunities to network with employers. Maybe a word from Clark will encourage students and alums to take advantage of these opportunities. As we say in the profession, it's not what you know, it's not even whom you know, it's who knows you, Angie. Angie, thank you, and that is great advice. And it's something that I know is true. And a lot of colleges and universities do a great job at their career development centers. It's another way to establish a lifelong connection with a former student and alum. And yes, a great tool in the toolbox. 
Clark, you smell like you walked 20,000 steps today. Why do you only recommend independent auto repair shops? Multiple times I've had local dealerships vastly cheaper for the same service. On my current routine maintenance, I'm saving over $500 by not following your stinky advice. Please tell people to shop around, Aaron. Aaron, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm glad that it's worked for you. My bias towards the independent shop is at the dealers, the way they're structured you're not ever getting to talk to the actual mechanic who's going to be working on your vehicle when it has a problem. You're relying upon a service writer whose job at the dealership is to write what they're going to do instead of writing what the problem is to be addressed. So you could go pick up your car, pay the money, and drive out with the same problem you came in with, but they're like, hey, we did the thing you signed your name to, and you've never had that opportunity with the mechanic to say, this is what's going on. This is the problem, which at an independent shop, you have the ability to, at most, to talk directly to the mechanic who's going to be doing the work. And regardless of where you go have work done, I'm not talking about regular maintenance. I'm talking about when something goes wrong. You always want the service ticket you're signing your name to to state the problem you're having, not some solution that commission, or maybe not commission, depends on the place, service writer has put down where they say, do whatever. That's not what you're there for. You're there because your vehicle is having a specific problem. That specific problem is what you need addressed, and that's what needs to be on that service ticket. Clark, calling the thing with wheels you put food in at the store a basket is buggy. It's called a grocery cart, unless it really is a basket, Sean. (laughs) Sean, thank you. This goes back to what I was talking about, how in certain parts of the country, a shopping cart is called a buggy. And I don't know where that expression came from. And so this is just Sean's continuing that theme, that conversation. And there were several people who pointed this out. This one says, Christia doesn't stink, but a foul odor occurred when she said poison sings once bitten, twice shy. The band who sings this is great white. Thank you, Jennifer. You're so right. I'm totally embarrassed that I got my 80s metal. Well, I guess it's more 80s rock wrong. Well, you know, hair band. the problem for me is I don't know who any band is. I don't know what any song is. I am so clueless about anything about real life. Well, that's not true. But I definitely, you you weren't into the 80s, like heavy metal bands or any of that stuff? No? Although, I'm telling you, I have no interesting part of me at yes, all. You, please. Many, many would just, disagree with that. I'm just like a combination, like I'm like part machine, part human. <laughs> just who I am. But anyway, thank you so much for giving us the feedback on Clark Stinks. You have no idea how much it helps that you take the time. And even if yours isn't read on the podcast, it's been read. Appreciate you knowing that this really is a team effort. When you do that post, you become part of Team Clark. And the only way we learn and we grow is we hear things about us that maybe, well, it'd be good for us to hear, but not always the most pleasant. Although, I love Clark Stinks. I love hearing it. I really enjoy it. And I love having an opportunity to expand my knowledge and expand my frame of reference. So thank you for doing it. And coming up ahead, 
this Christmas season, shopping's different for all different reasons. Returns are likely to be very different, too. You need to know how that's going to play. We have been through the golden era of shopping with the ability for people, think of online, you could order a lot of stuff and have things come in and you say, nah, that's not really right. And I don't like how that fits or I need this size versus that size, whatever. And no harm, no foul for you. But for the retailer, it is a massive financial burden. And we've gotten so used to being able to say, nah, change our mind, that the percent of returns, especially for online shopping, for a lot of retailers, gigantic, and it's killing their ability to be profitable. So you're going to find as you shop this Christmas season, online, in person, whatever, and with stores that have online and in person, you'll find differences potentially in the return policy depending on how you bought it and how you return it. So you got to know that anything you buy today, up front, you need to know what the return privilege is. And by the way, this has come to Amazon. If you are a fervent Amazon shopper, Amazon is selling a lot of stuff that they're doing sales on that are clearance kind of items. And you buy it, you own it, no matter what where Amazon historically has been very, very easy on returns, it depends now. And with many retailers, it depends. So you got to know the drill. My wife orders from a company that has both physical stores and the online. And if she wants to return an item and send it back to them, she has to pay the shipping. But if she goes to one of their physical stores and returns it, She doesn't have to pay the shipping. So what I'm telling you that is different is that a retailer used to have a standard policy. And I remember forever ago what was at one time, and is now I guess extinct, Kmart, the world's largest retailer at one time, used to have a simple phrase that was over their service desk. Said, satisfaction always or your money cheerfully refunded. That was the beginning and end of their return policy. And today, it's much more complicated. We work hard for our money. Before you spend your money somewhere, know what your rights are for returning that item, that purchase. Because again, the uniform return policies aren't uniform anymore. Even Costco Costco used to be you could return anything at any time. You didn't even need a receipt. But there were a small number of members that were abusing that with particularly electronics. And they would take something back years later and they'd be asked, well, why are you bringing it back? Well, because you have a new one that's better and it's cheaper. So now they've had to put a collar on the return of certain categories, especially electronics and computers, but everything else is still very generous with the return. So it really depends now on what you're buying, and the receipt 
should tell you if you're buying physically in the store. If it doesn't, you need to ask. You need to know. And if you're buying online, you need to click on what the return rate is you have for that purchase before you do it. Krista? This is from Mona in Florida. I just wanted to know generally how long you keep statements from credit cards, car insurance, utilities, old health insurance, explanation of benefits, et cetera, for a deceased person. I have statements well over 10 years old. Do I need to keep them? And I think from a deceased person was just for the health insurance explanation of benefits. Yeah. So it totally depends on the category and the item. Utilities, once you paid them, you don't need them. Credit card statements can be very valuable through a year. As an example, if you're getting paper statements from a credit card and you get billed for something, you may not notice that the next month they billed you for it again. But you, if you have the paper statement, you can go back and refer. You could go online, but I find that with credit card statements in particular and bank statements, looking at the paper, I'm able to... to verify charges much more easily than I can when I'm looking at a computer screen or my phone. I really like for you to hold those, especially if there's anything on there that might be a benefit to you on taxes. As an example, charitable giving. So the credit card statements I like for you to have at least uh, for a rolling 12 months, and that would be the current year plus, and then as you've finished doing your taxes, then you can get rid of the ones from the prior year that are more than a year old. Utilities, once you paid the bill, you can toss them. Car insurance, you can toss them, except for the statement you get, typically from most insurers, once or twice a year, that states what your coverages are. Um, Old health insurance, uh, EOBs, once something's been paid and everything's good, I don't think you need it anymore. So as far as records that I do keep, I have my tax returns back to the 1970s. I don't keep the supporting documents past six years, but I have the actual return going back that far. Linda in New Hampshire says, with everything moving online, why are there brick and mortar banks opening on every corner? So they are a marketing tool. People don't really go to the branch anymore. It's very, very rare that people go to a branch. It's like a giant billboard that says, hey, I'm here. There was a bank in my neighborhood that was on a side street, and they had spent millions building this new bank branch, but it wasn't a busy street. They actually closed that branch. It's still unrented, sitting there unloved. And they opened on the main drag two blocks away just so they would be a visible presence. I noticed they're smaller buildings too, at least the ones I'm seeing going up. They're way smaller than they used to be. But they suck the life out of a corner. I cannot stand bank branches. Not because I don't like banks. You've heard me talk about banks. But really because, particularly in an area that has walking to it, a bank takes a vital corner It's open minimal hours. Nobody goes in there. It sucks life out of that neighborhood. And so I'm with you. They're like locusts for an urban area or a vital suburban area to have that bricks and mortar branch there. 
Tom in Florida says, I have a question about my office copier. My business does about 8,000 copies per month. We have traditionally leased our copier and that lease payment includes the cost of maintenance and repairs. Our 60 month lease is about up. Should we lease or purchase our next copier? And if we purchase, will we still get great service when our copier needs a repair? So the key with this, and I used to have to do this, we do very little copying anymore. So I don't do any of these analyses. But what I used to do when I did a lot of copies was I would have companies come in and present, and now they might just email you this, what it is to do a three-year or five-year all-in lease. I prefer the three-year. And then the alternative, buying the equipment with a service contract. And with the service contract, they're really good about the service calls just as they would be on a lease because they want you to stay with them. They want you to keep paying that money because those service plans are profitable for them over time. So, Normally, you'll find that the purchase of one for a cycle as long as you have done in the past, a five-year cycle, will be cheaper to purchase and then have a service plan for maintenance and repairs. But as to whether that will work out for you that way, the only way to know for sure is to price them out. But three years is more where it's almost break-even. You own a copier for a five-year cycle, historically, it would be cheaper for you to own it with a service plan than to lease it for 60 months. And this is different than what you hear me talk about with stuff at home where I say, don't buy extended warranties, don't buy the service plans and all that. An office copier that is depended on by people in the office that's being used for a significant amount of production, it's something that does, in fact, benefit from having a service plan. Is the copier company making a good markup on that service plan? Yes, but they're in business and they got to have those technicians to go out and do those calls. And I want to thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Please let us know how you feel, what you think, your reaction your happiness, unhappiness with our podcast by leaving a review, sharing an opinion on how I missed the mark, though, at Clark.com slash Clark Stakes.